Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. So this lesson, I feel, is so important and life-changing. And uh, I, it is kind of different. Did you all feel it was a little different this week? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't as like many questions or little blanks to fill in. Or <laughs> but uh, but it's, I, I hope that you didn't just fly through it um, because it is all about our identity and it's about who, how we see ourselves um, and the way God, God sees us, right? <clears throat> and so I pray it'll capture our hearts tonight. And uh, just a disclaimer the, about, you know, daughters. Um, I, when I say sons, I, I mean daughters as well, right? Um, because, but I'm not going to say both all the time. <laughs> just know that uh, daughters are included um, and many times we talk about us being the bride of Christ, uh, and, and guys have to be that as well, so, but tonight we'll be talking about sons, so, uh, also, there wasn't as many, like, pre, um, questions that were already written on here, so I have some questions throughout, and I just want to encourage people to be vulnerable, be open, be transparent and be honest with with this is this is our family, right? And so um, we can we can be open with one another and and share our thoughts um, as we go through it. So let's get started. <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds the house, its builder builders labor in vain. Psalm one twenty seven one. God is a builder. In fact, He is so interested in building. That when he came to earth, he came to build to, to the home of a carpenter. As an apprentice to his earthly father, the young Lord Jesus was a builder. In the Bible, the word house is a spiritual metaphor for a family. For example, the house of Joseph and the house of David refer to specific biological families. These terms refer to God's seed line his generation, and his family. God is still in the house-building business today. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he builds families. What God builds, he also guards. If he doesn't build it, nothing protects it because what is being built is not according to his pattern. One of the things I was just looking up with Shane. Uh, Shane, do you have Genesis 2, 22? Um, there's a passage right, right in the beginning of creation when he is making Eve. Um, the same word that is used to create Eve is used to, to build. So when he's actually building uh, the family, the first family, that's what he's doing. When he's creating Adam and Eve, he's, he's creating. You want to read it? Yeah, Genesis 2. <clears throat> Starting 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made or built into a woman and brought her to the man. Mm. 
Yeah, is and and what was the word? It's like it's it's like banana. It's like banana. <laughs> but banana. But All right. So, but that it just shows that God it was in the business from the beginning of time and building families, right? That's how he did it. You know, um, later on we'll read about Adam, um, or I'm sorry, a Abraham wanting to build his family from uh, a servant, you know, but the Lord said, no, I have a son for you. And so uh, we have to, you have to know that that's how God operates. This is his way, right? And he doesn't change it. Um, even, uh, even when um, Sarah was, was trying to get um, Abraham, they were trying to build their family their own, in their own way, Sarah was like, take Hagar. My, the, my servant, and take Hagar, my servant, and she will build our house for us. And that same word was used back in Genesis in this, in, in when she did that. And, uh, and, and it was not good, right? It turned out very bad. Um, so just like where it says, if he doesn't building, nothing protects it because what is being built is not according to his pattern. God has a pattern, and we have to wait on the Lord for him to build it, right? Okay, so three ways God builds. God builds revelationally. The first way God builds is with revelation of who Christ is. Upon this rock, I will build my church. All right, who wants to read Matthew 16? No. <laughs> Matthew 16, 13 through 18. All right, Ian's got it. Thirteen through eighteen. Awesome. Can I go? Yeah. Now when Jesus came into this district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. So the revelation of Christ is what he is building the foundation of the church on. Um, interesting because I think the Catholic Church takes this as, as Peter is the one that God was going to build the church on, but that's incorrect. And uh, they had many different things that... Uh, like saying Peter was the first pope and he was given the keys and now the keys are passed on to each pope and all these crazy things that come from one verse and one misunderstanding. Um, but what, was, <clears throat> what, what Jesus was saying was, was upon this revelation that you've had about me, I will build my church. And... Uh, I think it's interesting that this is the first time the word church is used in the Bible, and it means um, iglesia. Um, 
And it's, it, when, it, during Jesus' time, this was not a religious word at all. They didn't, it, it was not like today where church is very much associated with, with um, religion. But uh, it just meant group or a called out group. So it means like a group or a family that's called out. Um, and so this, this lesson is about us and our identity and what God is creating, is still creating a family today. And that family is this group of believers coming together to, do, um, to believe on Jesus and to operate in the way he, he dictates. Um, so look at, uh, also, let's turn to 1 Peter 2. And Dan, why don't you read 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. Because you'll see even Peter kind of realized, realized this. So I just wanted to show you. Oh, four through six. Uh, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So you have to wonder if Peter was thinking about that moment, right, when he wrote this, when Jesus was saying, upon this rock I will build my church, and, uh, and then further gets further revelation from the scriptures saying that God will establish a cornerstone in Zion, right? And that cornerstone being Jesus. Um, and then him further getting further revelation and saying, now all of us are like living stones being built upon that. And so that, this is just a further indication of this is how even Peter interpreted what Jesus was saying um, when, during that moment. Um, any other thoughts about the revelation, God building upon revelation in your own personal lives or, or anything like that before we move on. Um, the, in Exodus 6, mm. he reveals how in Mo, to Moses, like to the forefathers, he would reveal himself as El Shaddai. Mm. But to Moses, he gives him his formal name of Yahweh. Mm. And what does El Shaddai mean? Uh, Lord of the Mountain. Usually it's translated as like God Almighty. Mm. Yeah. In Moses, since they became a proper country, hmm. not a nation, I guess. Cool. So I wanted to share a testimony on, on this because I shared it earlier tonight at dinner, and I think it's relevant to right now. Is um, 
I think most of the church today is is, is living on somebody else's revelation. Mm -hmm. They go to church and they listen to yeah, somebody else in that. But that was me. You know, I listened to tons of mm. sermons and books and all of that. And uh, one time when Brenda and I were praying, you know, I think it was Brenda who said that, you know, the Lord doesn't want an echo. You know, I'm echoing what other people's revelations were. And I needed mm. to spend time with him so I get. Amen. And that's really the beginning of this study is that the difference between a servant and a son. When yeah. you spend time with dad and get your own revelation, no one yeah. can take that from you. That's good. It's really good. Yeah, Mike. I just want to build off what Mark said because I think you're right, revelation of who Christ is. Mm. But I believe that's only part of it. I yeah. believe the rock is revelation from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. That's the rock that... Because he shows us. Yeah, he teaches us. Yeah. And Tracy? Um, years ago, when I was growing up as a teenager, yeah. my quest was always to find out who was in charge. Mm. And I couldn't find it. And I, I looked at my parents and my teachers and the, the government and the law, and I couldn't find it. And it was always that quest. Mm. And he showed up when saying, you know, it's my way, mm. and I'm in charge. <laughs> And I've never been the same since because I know now, without a shadow of a doubt, and he revealed it to me. Yeah. And and I had to have it in order for for my foundation. Amen. And when I found out that he, he's the one in charge of it all, it, it it's amazing. Yeah. You know, when when you start to realize that, yeah. that that's the truth. Yeah. There's the truth to that. And this goes back to our <laughs> previous study about our our calling, our destiny, right? Because it's like he has prepared things for Tracy specifically, for Mark specifically. And how are you going to know that if you don't spend time with him? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Just as you were talking here, it made me think of how Jewish rabbis would say, like, the entirety of Scripture can be summed up in the first six chapters of Genesis. Mm. And how the Lord, like, already revealed everything from the beginning. And yet, he builds revel revelationally in that the rest of the word came as he's expounding upon what he already revealed. Like, even in the garden, he said, an offspring will come that will crush mm. your head. Yeah. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Yeah. And right there is already the messianic pro uh, prophecy. Yeah. That there's going to come someone. And then, as the Bible goes, we get, oh, wow, this is how it's going to happen. Oh, there's going to be a virgin. It's Bethlehem. Mm. This. And he just builds on top of it. But he yes. doesn't actually change anything. He yes. He the foundation, and now he just builds on top of it. That's good. That's good. Yeah, even the word offspring, you know, it has to be a family. Like, he doesn't, doesn't change it. Um, okay, so God building relationally. The next stage of building through is through relationships. And God desires to place us in godly relationships within his family. A structure cannot be built unless individual parts are joined together. Um, Many people, however, live with a disposable relationship mentality. God sets us in the body where he wants us to be as it pleases him. A person's destiny arises from his relationships where God has placed him or her. Nothing should be allowed to destroy those relationships. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Matthew 19.6 one of the greatest problems in the church today is that people f fail to understand this truth. When offended, they dispose of the relationships God gave them. 
They leave churches because of a nomadic mentality pre prevalent in the body of Christ. Um, and I just, I feel like this is something that I'm very proud of in this church is just the relational aspect that is here. Um, I, I am blessed every week when uh, I, I call it my family comes to my house <laughs> for home group and we spend life together, you know, and it just blesses me every week. And I hear hearing Nick Massey on um, at Passover say, say like one of the things he heard over and over again was God, uh, that people gave testimony of how God has put them in families. Um, and, uh, and these are, this is not just all lovey-dovey stuff, right? It's sometimes very difficult things that uh, we have to work through, you know, because many of us even, like, live together, right? And, uh, and so, <laughs> so it's like these things, our, our flesh rises up, can cause conflict. We work through the conflict. We don't run away. These are all vital things of growing us for when we go out from here or if we go out from here, right? Um, to, to foster that wherever we go, right? Because that is a, a, a thing that is not fostered very much in, in many places. So I just feel very blessed. Um, God puts us first in relationships with him. Then he joins us relationally in a spiritual family. This is one of the greatest strengths of the early church concept. We build through kingdom relationship and understanding. Relationships are created and sustained in a familial environment. Um, so just like we were saying, people would grow if they persevered when these struggles came, right? That's how God, God uses it. Ironing, sharpening iron. God uses those difficult experiences to grow us. So any thoughts about relational stuff? Um, yeah. ministry of two young girls, we are yeah. seeing that these young girls, a lot of them don't even have a vision mm. of family. Mm. It's been yeah. so broken from the very beginning that even just watching a family right. is revelational to them. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. We're, we take it for granted that yeah. we have our families and we have what we have. Yeah. And, you know, there's another one association church um, that is, they're, they're wanting to be Peyton, um, remind me of the names, Judah and Nick Aragina are wanting to plant a church in Turkey. Well, it, it's radical Islam is the, is the dominant religion there. And it is very much based on community and family, right? That religion. And so when you reject Islam, everything is taken away from them. Yeah, that's right. And they have no family, they have no job, they have nothing. And if, they, if, if, we're, if all we're offering them is a Sunday service, mm -hmm. that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to offer them a community that they can replace that with this. Um, and so it's, and, and, and all of us need it. All of us need community. 
Like whether, but people don't realize that. It's just more evident with people in Islamic or even other religions that will forsake them as soon as they, they choose Christ, right? And so this is vital in, in spreading the gospel. Um, anything else? Yeah. As, as you were saying that, so I'm, I'm doing like training at, at Chick-fil-A, and like I'm, I'm really getting to see into a lot of the lives of the team members that we work with. And something that's um, the same message with each one is a sense of belonging. Mm. You know, yeah. I ask, what, what do you want Chick-fil-A to do for you? And <laughs> thinking like, you know, money and opportunity. It's like, I just, some of these kids are just saying, I just, I just want to, I don't want Chick-fil-A to be home. I or I don't want Chick-fil-A to be just a place of work. I don't want to be at home. Yeah. I want to have a sense of belonging. Another person was just like, I just, I just want to be a part of something. I want to be able mm. to be included um, in that. You know, I'm thinking to myself, like how much I wanted to be when I first came to Christ, when he revealed himself to me. Yeah. I just wanted to be um, part of a family. I just, I just thought that was interesting. Like, I think we all have a sense that even when you take away the really gets the vulnerable part of us mm. and we stop being so strong and we really all just want to belong to yeah. one another and when we when we find a very fake version of it it tastes bad mm. and then we want to leave and I, I think there's some some genuity mm. in our body where we can connect with one another and we feel mm -hmm. that we do belong that we're connected on a much deeper level than just what we can get from each other but yeah, right, yeah. Well, and that's why gangs are formed. That's right. You know, I mean, yeah. that's why JCs yeah. are formed. Yep. That's why, you know, people go to the Cubs games and they're Cub fans. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a group. You feel like you belong because you all, you know, are whatever. You've, you, gotta, yeah. you find your group. Commonality, yeah. 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 yeah, that's right. So let's keep going. Um, God builds generationally. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Although he has long-range plans, a generation may tend to view itself as the terminal generation. They focus on the study of the future and are not interested in taking the city and building strong families. As leaders, we must make it our priority to build strong relationships, not knowing whether Christ will come in our day or not. Then we can pass the vision, momentum, strategy, resources, and assets to the next generation. I had a chance to uh, go to India, and the missionary that we went to go see, was his name was Anand Israel, and he was a seventh generation pastor. So six generations before him were pastor, 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 pastor. <laughs> and... Uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing because there was no pressure on him because I was like, well, did, were you just forced into that? Like, did that just... And he was like, no, actually, I went my own way for a while and there was no pressure for him to become a pastor even though he was the seventh generation son of, of this pastor's. And uh, God just called him in his time. And, you know, he had a very praying father, you know. <laughs> and so in his time, he called him. And, that's, and, and now he's, he's basically like the closest form of uh, Apostle Paul that I've ever seen because he goes from uh, church to church and just uh, assists all these different churches and has his own church. Um, 
but uh, it's just amazing to, to see. And, and it's just a perfect example of this. This is how God works. And he builds upon families and generations. Um, so the, the fact that like what God is calling to you now, calling you to do, is not just for you. It's for all the people that come behind you. And so uh, getting it right now and, and passing that on is vital uh, for, for the mission. And maybe, maybe a, 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 something that God wants to do in a second and third generation is preparing now for that second and third generation, which is kind of a crazy thought, right? Um, so God builds his house, his corporate family, by adding to the family. The scriptures tell us that the fruit of the womb, children, is his reward. The Hebrews knew that God built, builds his house generationally through the addition of children and thus valued those relationships. Their model of maturity was not based upon knowledge, as was the Greeks' model, but rather upon relationships. They viewed maturity as a growing process in learning to relate to God and to others. Um, so any thoughts there as far as God wanting to build generationally? Uh, one scripture I wanted to read that I referenced earlier was Genesis 15. And Katie, would you read 1 through 6? Amen. So in this story, you have Abraham logically thinking, oh, it'll come through my servant, Eleazar. And the Lord is like, no, this is going to be my, you're going to have a son. And from that son, you're going to have generations that come from that son and, you know, stars in the sky. Yeah, Zach. I think one of, I'm sorry, I think one of the coolest pictures that we see in scripture, especially having just celebrated Passover, is the provision for mm. the sword, the sojourner to be a part. <laughs> Amen. And I think the greatest fulfillment of this is with Ruth and Rahab, because ultimately they're not only included in the family of Israel, but they're included in the line of Christ. Yeah. But the thing that I think the modern church forgets is it's not come be a part. Mm. It's know the regulations and then come and be a part. Mm. know why this family operates as it does mm. and come include yourself in it as opposed to, yeah, now I'm a Christian and I can do whatever I want. Mm. Mm. 
not just like come as you are. Yeah. <laughs> a little different, right? It's good. It's good. So, moving on to servanthood versus sonship. God was faithful in God's house as a son that served, but he was not a mere servant. God builds his house today with sons, not servants. Sonship is not a matter of gender or age. Rather, it is an attitude when, we, when placed in a family. Though Christ took a position in attitude and spirit, that was subservient to the Father and never acted in a manner that was inconsistent with sonship. The highest pattern of the new covenant is sonship, not servanthood. Although both sons and servants serve, the difference, and this is key, the difference is one of attitude and motive. A church can never build upon hireling servants. It just won't work. Hirelings have their own agenda and are not building on the plan and vision of the Father. Um, so, I mean, even... You had times where God was, or Jesus was prophesied as being a suffering servant, but he was a son that served, right? Um, he was first a son. Ken? Yeah. Um, this kind of made me think about paid worship leaders and paid home group leaders mm. in churches. Right. Yeah. It seems to be the very definition of a hireling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. This also made me think of Galatians 3 where um, if you read a little bit it calls the law a guardian hmm. and that word if you trace it back is pedagogies uh, or something along those lines and it's, it was this completely constructed position in ancient times of a servant who was tasked with bringing up the children instead of the parents hmm. so their job was to teach Hmm. morality to uh, proper education, dance, hmm. and all of these things. And based on some of our conversations on Monday, how we were talking about the law shows the depravity of the yeah. heart, yeah. but ultimately it is our attitude and decision which hmm. by the highlight of the law is going to bring us into Christ. Right. But it's always a, it's a daily decision <clears throat> yeah. that we have to make. Yeah. Like as a parent of my sons and daughter, uh, I am always striving to get to their heart, and that is my responsibility as a father, and God knows exactly how to get to our hearts perfectly, right, and he will use circumstances, he'll use trials or these things to have the things that are inside of our heart that he knows that are there bubble up, right? And you, he, I can see he even does it in my kids. And it's like, this happened because of what is going on, you know, in your heart. Do you see that? Like, and this is why we need Jesus to change our hearts, right? Um, so God's answer to the human predicament and dilemma was to send a son not a servant to the earth. In the new covenant, we too are sons in the Father's house. We are no longer working for a paycheck. We have ownership as heirs of God through Christ and have a stake in the family business. <laughs> we are sons, not slaves, who work in the house as employees. As sons, we will inherit everything. 
Are you behaving as a son or a servant in the house of the Lord? And as you think about that, turn to John 10, 11 through 18. Another way to ask that is that in what areas are you operating as a son or a servant in the house of the Lord, right? Because sometimes we might be doing well in one area, but then others we might be like, child care, you know, like, <laughs> right? So let's see, Natalie, you have a Bible? Awesome. Uh, can you read 11 through 18? John 10, yeah? John 10, yeah. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, says the wolf coming, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is hired a hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be, on, there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I, would, I have received from my Father. Amen. Uh, isn't that beautiful? I just, I think it, it just goes back to Sunday's message, right? Of uh, the resurrection power of Jesus, and how he lays down his life, because his Father is, is, is telling him to lay it down, right? And he does it of his own free will, because of what his father is saying, right? His father has a vision, and he is a son lining up with that vision, right? And it says, uh, The hireling sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. The hi hireling flees when the fire comes. Therefore, the test of sonship is whether you stay in the place or not under fire. So that is the test, and it comes up again and again, doesn't it? <laughs> the employee bails out because he's looking for payday and sundown. The son, however, knows that if the business goes down, he goes down. Sons defend the house. They are arrows in the hands of a warrior. Um, looking at Psalm 127. I like this psalm. <laughs> so, um, right. let's see. Jackson, can you read three through five? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills the quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with, when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. 
And so it's, it's like, it, it says, blessed is he who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So there's this understanding that his sons will defend him and defend his honor, defend him at the gate, right? Um, because important decisions were made at the gate. These things were, it was like a place of, of, of um, kind of like judgment, right? Or like when um, in the story of Ruth, right? They, they make the decisions at the gate about her future. Um, so if the father's reputation is at stake, theirs is at stake. But a servant in the church will change churches when faced with problems. Are you thinking like a son or a servant? And so did anybody have anything written down there that wants to be brave? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. I have verse. Go ahead. an opportunity that came up for Veronica to leave. And she chose to stay and stay in the fire. And now she's been blessed. And it's been awesome to see her grow from that experience. So, what'd you, Brenda? Um, you know, this whole section just took me to Romans 8, um, 14 to 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. That's good. That's very good. Sharing in his sufferings. What else? Yeah. Um, the verse that kind of came to mind where it talks about, you know, your attitude and your motive behind it. Um, I, it brought me to, I just lost my place, Isaiah 1, where it talks about, um, I'm certain verse 19, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you, will eat not, you, shall, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And I found that, like, you know, we can do things but are we willing to do it? Mm. You know, it's like, it comes to a point where, like, are you willing to do it? Because mm. if you're willing, you will eat the fruit of the land. But if you are doing it out of yeah. a place of, well, I just feel like I have to. Or, mm. you know, well, I guess I can do it. And you're grumbling and complaining about it. Mm. Don't even do it then. Have that willing heart yeah. and that willing spirit behind it because you will eat the fruit of the land. And I feel like when you are a son, you, you, you are more willing. You're willing to, to do whatever the Lord yeah. wants you to do. So we have a phrase in the Hefner house. We obey right away, all the way, happy and with a happy heart. That's right. If we're, if we're grumbling while we're doing it, it's not really effective, is it? 
Um, what else? Is there anything else? Shall we move on to number one? Good. It's that, good. That, that never goes away, and in that, you know, because even when it was talking about, like, oh yeah, like when when it gets hard, it's like as an employee, you have a choice to be like, oh, this thing's going down the tubes. Mm. But as a son, it's like, no, you stick with it even when it's hard, but then you also get the blessings, and it's like, oh, you know, like even when I, you know, don't meet the mark every time, and you don't have to have mm. a fear of like, oh, I'm just gonna be like, okay, well, actually, you're not doing a good enough job, so you're leaving now. It's like you you have the motivation. No, I want to make my father proud rather mm. than like. I just yeah, that's good. Very much like the prodigal son, right? So, let's uh, look at 12 differences between sons and servants. All right. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have enough time. Sons build the house. Servants simply serve in the house. Building the house is superior to serving in the house. For example, are you just teaching a Sunday school class or are you building family, people and families? Some people would say, I'm just an usher. However, a son would, who serves as an usher will view people, everyone who comes through the door as a prospective building material to be added to the family. He is always alert and takes initiative. Servants, on the other hand, never initiate. They simply do what they are told. If there is trash on the floor, the servant says, I wasn't hired to pick it up. It's not my job. But the son will pick it up. He has no problem with the mediocre, mundane tasks because he desires to please the father. Are you building or are you just ushering? Um, this is one thing that I've learned uh, so, so much from... Uh, Nick Slaughter is he has this uncanny of ability of just like um, I'm a very task oriented person <laughs> so if there's like tasks that have to be done um, I'm like zeroed in on those tasks but in the middle of a task he will s stop and talk to uh, a person because that is what is valuable right and he can talk to them for hours. <laughs> and I'm like, I got things to do. You know, like, <laughs> but uh, I just have learned from him that this is the vision. This is the building material. This is what is important, right? Tasks can wait. Building, you know, structure, stuff that needs to get done can wait. But the real true building is investing in people. Right? Amen. And Ben. Yes. You are totally a people person. <laughs> She's right. I see you as uh, That's the Lord. <laughs> as a leader, you must learn to carefully discern the character of individuals. You cannot place men in leadership who have the attitude of a servant. God wants and needs sons to build his house. Um, let's look at John 10, 1. We'll go back to John. Same chapter, actually. Uh, 
Let's see. Um, Hannah, can you read one through? Let's see. Let's just do um, five. One through five. Yeah, so a thief and a robber. Uh, I just looked up these words, and it says, uh, a thief is one who's selfishly seeking his own ends and would avoid detection. And a robber is one who would use violent means to secure his purpose. Judas was a thief. Barabbas was a robber. Um, The false shepherd disdains the door and climbs up some other way, along his own selfish lines of action. His purpose is not to benefit the sheep, but to seize them or slaughter them for his own purposes. Um, and so with that in mind, look at John, just the story right before this, John 9, 30, 29. Let's look at 29, and I'll read um, through 38. It says, so this is the story of the blind man that was healed, right? And... He is talking to the Pharisees, and they're like investigating him. And in 29, it says, We know that God has spoken to Moses. This is the Pharisees speaking. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from, speaking about Jesus. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has there been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he would do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. And so I'm just... You know, picturing a thief and a robber, right? Wanting their own desires. The Pharisees wanted to keep their position. They were very threatened by Jesus, right? And uh, they would even, like, cast out the sheep. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, think of a sheep, right? He's finding the sheep. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Um, So I just think it was interesting that right after that story, he goes in to talk about the sheep, uh, the shepherd, good, you know, versus a thief and a robber, right? And this is is us. What... what, um, Desires are we seeking selfishly, right? Um, versus are we, are we just submitted to the Father and His will? 
Um, any thoughts about number one? not just like managers leaders but when like the entire body takes that ownership right that's something amazing <coughs> something beautiful right you know what here I, I got something to tie to because yeah. someone referred to it, it, it earlier and I was looking at my notes I couldn't remember exactly but it's, it's pretty cool when you look at John 10 uh, you know 10 3 it says the watchman opens the gate for him hmm. and then if you go back to Ruth in Ruth 2, it says that Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, who was his young woman. So he was the one who looks over the gate, and he's the one who let uh, uh, um, Ruth in. It says the foreman replied, she's a Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the, in the shelter. Hmm. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Hmm. So she entered through the gate, through the, the guy who opens the gate. She's in there harvesting, working as a daughter, and then Boaz comes and recognizes her as a daughter. Wow. And it's, it's really beautiful. And, and her heart, Ruth's heart being like, your people is my people, right? right? She took that like ownership. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So number two, sons view the father's heart and the success of his work as their own. Servants grasp for ministry, while sons wait to inherit ministry from the father. Luke 16, 12 says, if you are not Faithful in someone else's ministry, you will not be faithful in your own. Everyone starts off in the kingdom with an opportunity to be faithful to that which belongs to someone else. Many people want their own church or ministry, but they have never learned to be faithful in their spiritual father's house. 
Lincoln Brewster once said, everyone wants to do what I do, but they will not do what I have done to get here. Today, there are some men who are ambitious and want to start their own ministries. They have a true call and a promising future, but they refuse to wait to be sent out with the Father's blessing. They decide to take ministry rather than to wait to inherit it. Stewardship of ministry, however, should be learned by the Son in the spiritual Father's house. There he must wait upon his ministry. Um, I just had the question, is there anyone here that is waiting on ministry, waiting on their ministry? Yeah, Tracy. And it's hard to, patience, right? <laughs> Long, um, exciting years. Mm. Learning years. Yeah. If we had gotten it three years ago, mm. we would have failed. Wow. So I, I know that this is, this is right, but man, it's hard to that's a that's a good lesson. Wow. And you raised your hand, Vicky, too. Oh, I got it in so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, just you know, as far as my dream job, had yeah. had I not, I was clamoring for it, working for it, trying, 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 but trying to get it in my own self, by myself, doing my own thing, mm. in order to to get that thinking that if I just do this one more thing, then I'll hmm. have it. And really, I just needed to stop, know that God has everything for me in mind for when I need to be there hmm. to just simply keep walking yeah. and keep going. Yeah. And literally, after 17 years of pushing and trying and fighting against hmm. the world, it happened exactly when it needed to happen, <laughs> not a month earlier, wow. otherwise there would be a whole lot of other long-term consequences. <coughs> wow, wow. Any other testimonies? Yeah, Sarah. Um, yeah, this just has like really like hit me today. Um, you know, like quick backstory, like the Lord called me to be a midwife mm. and found out that um, Tracy and I sh like share the same vision for like maternity home just, <laughs> you know, I was, like, really shook when I heard that. But, um, yeah, so, like, she invited me to be a doula on her team, and, like, I went wow. to the meeting today, like, the first one with them, and, um, I had this whole idea, like, because the Lord has given me, like, vision of, like, what, you know, this will be someday, and I'm like, no, I'm going to have, like, my own ministry. I'm going to, like, build it up, mm. and, you know, someday it'll happen, like, once I have, like, all my degrees and everything. But, like, after reading this and, like, just listening to them, like, I don't know, like, I, I, I see that he's calling me to be faithful there and, like, you know, go through, like, the hard work with them and, like, pray alongside them and, you know, in the building of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, Amen. And it, it was, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's, it won't be, like, my ministry. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to, like, clean off of, like, everything she's already done and just, you know. Amen. Yeah, it was, That's amazing. But I yeah. thought it was really interesting. The nurse today said, you know, well, Sarah, you know what? I need someone to come along with me. Mm. And you know what? If you come along and you do this and you do this, you can have half of it when I retire. Oh, and we God. all just sat there and went, ah. I cried for hours after wow. I Wow. That's what she said. And, and you will inherit it because I have nobody to give it to. 
And if you're, wow. if this is your vision and this is what you want, you can have it. Praise and the Lord. And we all were like, yeah. <laughs> so she said that, right? She said that, right? I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> two <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got it recorded? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Paul? Yeah, I think it's important for, especially our church, because we do have a, a younger congregation, that mm. we view our, our work that we're, God's given us now to do is, mm. as ministry, rather than yes. separating and thinking that it's work, mm. yes. and I'm just doing work, and then when I leave here, I go to the Horizon Church, or I go to Conscious Cup, or whatever, wherever we go to hang out, right? Mm. And people come in. Um, and we get to talk to them or, or just talking about the Lord, or, you know, whatever it may be. It's like, don't separate the two because God yeah. uses what we do in our temporal, mm. right, to help speak to us about the spiritual. Mm. And I remember like four, it's probably about four years ago, where the Lord just showed me that he had given me a ministry and I was rejecting it. And mm. it was Chick-fil-A. And, um, and it was at that point that I really started to just invest myself there in a way that I wouldn't have before because... I just wanted to get out of there and join ministry. Mm. You know, like when am I going to get to be in ministry? Mm. And I and I missed it because he was putting so many people with my care uh, to minister to at Chick Fil A. We wow. have yeah. we have a few moments or, or days where you know there would be like this awesome testimony come out of it. But now, like every day, there's opportunities mm. to reveal God's love to people, and it's because we're looking for it rather than waiting to get out of there so we can go do ministry. Nice, yeah. so good. And like, yeah. good. Right, That's good. awesome. Yeah. And and just to like hit this even harder is like the last the last directional thing the Lord gave Melissa and I was that He said in 18 months I'll show you the next step. Hmm. And this was March of 2018, so it's now April of 2019, like 13 months into it, right? And we're waiting for the next step. And that's a journey. That's a, a process. And you want to talk about, like, when Nick gave out the altar call for selfish ambition mm. and, uh, and bitter envy, like, and how it's demonic, I never viewed it as that before. I never realized that my ambition mm. uh, to promote myself is, is from the devil. Mm. And it, it just hit my heart because it's like, whatever I want to do will pale in comparison to what God yes. desires to use me. Mm. And therefore, yes. it's better for me to wait for what he has for me. Even though I have desire, it's better to wait. Because like it says in, in Psalm uh, 37, right, that if, if we delight ourselves in Him, He'll give us a desire of our heart. But if we're not delighting in Him, then where, where do our desires actually come from? Right? And so it's, it's an evaluation tool for us to, to be looking at is, um, am I delighting in the Lord? Like, let's get that right first. Yeah. Okay, all right, I have these desires. Are they my own or are they actually from the Lord? And he'll help make a distinction for us. And maybe it is that you're just called to work and you're not called to ministry. And, and that's okay because God will use you in the workplace. Yeah. Maybe it's that you are called to ministry and, and you just have to wait on, on his timing to bring you to that place. So good. Thank you for sharing, Paul. It's a man that's been through it. Um, when you are, when you're certain. Like another question I had is when you're, you're serving, are you just getting through what is required of you? Or is anyone in here taking a different approach to serving? Um, 
one of the things I wanted to emphasize is you're part of a family. And if this is you're treating this place as your house, it's like, what, what are you doing to improve it? Because people are coming into your home, right? And um, I just wanted to put that in their ears. <laughs> Uh, all right, so number three. Sons are always family-oriented. Servants are issue or ministry-oriented. The servant will split the family on an issue because he is not a family man. He focuses on issues and draws people to his side. On the other hand, the son desires to fulfill the father's agenda and is not interested in doing his own thing. Sons always think corporately, but servants jealously guard their own rights. Um, the story that immediately popped in my head was Absalom in 2 Samuel 15. You'll stand, turn there. And Garrett, if you'll read 1 through 6. 2 Samuel 15. Yeah, 1 through 6. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses, and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king of judgment, Absalom would call unto him and say, From what city are you? And when he would say, And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say, See, your claims are good and right. There is no man designated by the king to hear you. When Absalom would say, Oh, that I were a judge in the land, then every man would, with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did all, did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom, a son of David... Basically, this is the beginning of him staging a rebellion from the house of David. And he was doing it because he was dissatisfied and upset with his father and how his father um, didn't, didn't act righteously and, and take, um, I guess, a judgment, enact judgment on uh, Tamar. And, or Tamar and... Uh, the other guy's name. It's Tamar is the woman, and the son I forgot. Amnon. Amnon, thank you. Amnon raped Tamar, and David basically did nothing. And Absalom was so upset that it caught, led him down this path, path to sta stage a rebellion and divide his father's house. Um, and as you can see, he's just. He's, he's working an image, right? He never says directly, it goes, it doesn't directly go against David, right? He doesn't say things like, David is a terrible king or th something like that, but he's just subverting. He's like undermining David's rule by uh, judging the people, by um, saying they're good, you know, they have a good case. He's having chariots go before him. He's providing this image. He's creating this image, right? And so I just the, had a question of, as far as, have you ever felt smarter or more talented or your way is better than your leaders? Um, 
Are you cultivating an image? Um, do you say things that are not direct attacks on your leaders, but divisive all the same? This is the son versus a servant, right? So we see that. Any other thoughts on number three? Yeah, Zach. It made me think of Second Peter two, uh, specifically verse eighteen through twenty. It's talking about false teachers, and it reads, "For when they speak, uh, bear with me. This is New King James. For when they speak <laughs> great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, mm. through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error." While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Wow. This reminds me of uh, how there's all these denominations that have... Mm the Christian believer. There's denomination for every belief under the sun because somebody got offended and was like, yep. well, they just don't understand me, but here, let me push your button so that you'll come to my side. And before long, two became four and four became eight, and yep. now we have hundreds yep. of divisions. That's right. It says right before that, it says they were waterless springs. <laughs> so they did not have the revelation. Um, moving on to number four. Sons use the language of the family. Servants or hirelings use individual terminology because they are ministry-oriented. Sons say we... Our or us. Servant says, me, mine, my, or they. Um, or even your. Like if they say your church, that kind of thing. Uh, if you look at, turn to First uh, Samuel 15. This is Saul. And we'll look at verse 19 and 21. Valentin, you want to read that? 19 and 21? Or to 21? <coughs> Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog and their, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of all was devoted to God. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Yeah, so he, he basically disassociates himself from the, the God of Israel and says, your God, right? Yeah. At this point, he's, he's, he's no longer operating as a son but he is, he is saying to Samuel, your God, right? 
Um, it's a dangerous place to be. I wanted to give a good example. If you look at Nehemiah 1, since we've been in Nehemiah. Look at, look at the way he, he says this. Even though he's in an entirely different nation at this time, he says in verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. And so he's just taking ownership, right? Sons take ownership with their language. Um, no one needs to say, like, your church. Sometimes I, I've heard that. I've been coming to your church for such and such time, right? That just immediately, I know where they're at. Like, <laughs> okay, they're, they're coming, right, but they're not, like, apart yet, right? Big tone in the water. Yeah, <laughs> big tone in the water. But as sons, we, it's, it's your church. It's our church, right? It's my church, um, if, if we take ownership, right? A hireling's language can sound like a son's language. However, under pressure, keyword, the true vocabulary of the hireling will become known, like we saw with Saul, right? Listen to the vocabulary of, of those whom you work. Their words will tell you whether they are sons or servants. For example, if the church is under attack, the son will say, we're under attack and we're going through it. The son speaks this way because the church is his family. And in family relationships, if one member is under attack, all members regard themselves as under attack. In the church, a son feels that if the pastor is under attack, then he too is under attack because he and the pastor are the same part of the same family. What language are you speaking? You know, it makes you think of the passage where Paul is saying, if, if one member of the body hurts, then the whole body should hurt, right? So, what thoughts do you all have on this? Did that, it hit home for me. One of the things that was mentioned earlier in this chapter, and yet really hit home in this section, um, was when it talked about we have ownership in the kingdom. Because mm. I'd always had the idea of like, yeah, I'll be ruling and reigning with Christ when I die. Yeah, I'll be in the kingdom. Yeah, I bring the kingdom here to earth. But it's your kingdom. And to me, it was always this like separate idea. And I know mm. it's like biblically, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because right now, we are separate from it. We don't see the fullness of it manifested mm. here on earth. And yet, in my mind, that translated over into, yeah, well, my only job is to bring that kingdom down. Like, I don't actually have ownership. And as I was reading that, I was starting to recognize, oh my goodness, like, this isn't just your kingdom come, this is like our kingdom come. He's the ruler of it, but it's my kingdom. Yeah. Not that I'm the ruler of the kingdom, but yeah. I have ownership in this kingdom. I have a part in this kingdom. Yeah. I have authority in this kingdom. Yeah. And it's that in Daniel um, 7, it talks about like the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days and being given a kingdom. And Daniel's like, what does this vision mean? And when the angel gives an interpretation, he doesn't say, yeah, the Savior is going to be the one receiving mm. the kingdom. Mm. He says the saints of the Most High will receive that kingdom. Right. And that like completely changed my perspective from that sermon mentality of, okay, I, my job is just to bring the kingdom down. It's just what I do as a son. 
That's good. To this is actually my kingdom that I get to be a part of. I get to have ownership and rule and authority. And in doing that, you are taking Shane's kingdom that you might build for yourself on earth and getting rid of that and taking his kingdom as your own. I remember when I, when I was first visiting here, Matthew was like, finish this book before you go, and it was the idea of changing from a pauper mindset to mm. a son mindset. If I remember right, one of the uh, examples used was just the idea of the prodigal son and how the son who ran away had that servant mindset of just give me everything you can now, I want to do my own thing now, and then, but what really hit me as well besides that, and him not thinking of a son, and wanting to stay under his father to receive, was when he came back, the second son felt a certain type of way, because he's like, why are you doing all this, and he's like, why are you, why are you questioning and feeling this, everything that I've had has been yours to use, because you've stayed, and just this idea of you know, when we are sons, we sometimes forget. All we have to do is ask our Father. He's not asking us to do all of these impossible tasks without equipping us. All we have to do is remember, if we feel unequipped, just ask Him, ask the brothers and sisters around us, and we'll be able to do it. Mm. Amen. Amen. That's good. Good sometimes, time. you know, like sometimes I, I, you know, I admit that like there are times in conversation at work like that I will, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, um, or consciously or unconsciously say like the church I go to, mm. you know, um, and then I'll, other times I'll, I'll, I'll find myself saying, you know, my church, you know, um, and it holds a greater weight to say my church. Yeah. It's like any of the good things, you know, that, that come out of that, like I'm part of that. Any of the things that like my, my church might look cultish or like, foolish. Mumps. Or mumps. I'm a part of that. Yeah. So, like I, I get associated with that. I, I, I take the that You know, and, and the Lord was just like really convincing me brought me to tears over this particular part because you know like it's you just saying like it's so important for you to speak yeah you know like like you're a part of this mm. you, know, you know like to, to tell other people to make it very obvious you know like I wouldn't say that you know I wouldn't beat around the bush saying that like I'm a McGuire and my mom dad my mom dad and my sisters and my sisters you know that's my family yeah you know the same way that I'm this is my church yeah you know this is yeah. Coming off of what Tim said, I remember when I first started going here and coming to the Rising, I still worked at the little Zoom school that I used to work at, and I loved the Lord at that point so much, and I just wanted people to come here. Mm. But I remember still like being like a servant in like mentality, and I'd be like, "You should go to Brad's church. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Like you should definitely visit Brad's church." And I go there too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 definitely that yeah 
there's like some really great things. Like the Lord is there, but also there's some culty things. So I don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> you know? And I really realized like how much of my like family this was. The, the, the first time I was like, you should come visit me like in where I, my home is. You know, like this is my home. Like this is, you should visit my family. Mm. Like I even stopped calling it church in general. It was like weird for me to even call it a church. It was like, yeah. you, want, you should visit my family, like my people, my my group. Yeah. <laughs> my, my group. <laughs> <laughs> we all got some moms. <laughs> Katie. where my, my sister and my brother-in-law went to church and it was very much their church and where they went and I attended their church. But then, you know, coming here, like, I've given everything, mm. you know, for this, not to both, but yeah. I feel like we all have, like we've given everything. Yeah, you know? right. Um, and so I think in that we've, you know, we've got blood, sweat and tears in here too. Yeah. And just the relationships that have been built, it redefines what family actually is. I feel mm. like I'm still learning what, it, you know, family actually is, but it redefines it. So, That's right. Know. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I think the quicker we can understand that we are ambassadors of Christ, everywhere we go, you are, you are having a ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back to the Father. That... It'll change if we keep that mindset. It's not, oh, I'm Brad sometimes and, and I'm an ambassador another times. But if you are all that way all the time, then you will walk in that authority everywhere you go. Um, all right, number five. Oh, Tracy. Um, I just, churches are family, but I think we have to remember that God has put us into a family mm. as well, and our parents, and and grandparents, and our the people around us, even if they don't understand what's going on with, you know, thinking, well, you're in an occult, and if you're saying all your family is here, and you're not facing your real family to tell them who you are and what you're doing and how you've changed and the love that you have, it, it starts to, mm. I don't know, I'm a I'm a mom, so I I. You know, and a, and a grandma, but it's, you know, it starts to, mm. I don't have to say it. <laughs> 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 anyway, yeah. it's just, you know, we've got to keep track of, of fam, family, family, too, yeah. though, right? I mean, it, it's so scary for, for parents to hear their kids getting really, really involved in a church, and they're... And what, what it does is it creates an apparent, like they're so self-righteous, now they're judging the parent of their, you know, of their mm. sins. And pretty soon it makes a bigger and bigger gap where if, if love, it, it's really, you gotta work at this, you know, but accepting and drawing them into this new family too, your mm. parents, your other siblings. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think absolutely God has put us in um, families, obviously, and we have a, you know, close uh, proximity, close relationship sometimes with uh, these people, um, but I am reminded of the words of Jesus that 
said, Who are my mother and brothers? Those who do the will of God. And I remember the, the Levites, you know, when Moses drew the line because they yeah. came down, he came down from the mountain and he said, yeah. you know, drew a line and said, those who are for God come to me. We would hope that every single one of our family members would go yeah. because they are for God and they all have an opportunity to come to God because he doesn't desire any to perish and he will call all of them. But there were those that came to him and those that didn't. And Moses told them, strap a sword to your side and go throughout the camp. And he said, because you were not afraid to be against your own mothers and brothers, right? I will set you apart this day. And they became the Levitical priesthood. And you know, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, and God said, now I know that I am more important, that you love me more than you love anything else. And Jesus said, do not, you say that I've come to bring peace. Do not think that I've come to bring peace, but a sword to divide mother against daughter. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And so... I have to take all these things into context, and yes, absolutely, we've been given a special opportunity in the people's lives that God has put us in families with, um, but our job is to put God above all, to serve him with our whole heart, and we hope our families will too, but the best thing we could do for our That's families right. is to put him above all, no matter what the cost. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's good. Because that's what they need. Yes. They need us to uphold that standard because that's, that's life to them. Right? Thank you. Grammy, my Grammy, the mm-hmm. kids' Grammy has done um, 
the work so I can physically pull out the charts and show them the yeah. different clans. But it's that, that same mentality of getting in that habit of talking about the clans and the families in that mentality that helps to create that habit. Yeah, that's good. All right, so number five. Sons honor headship and cover nakedness of their fathers. Servants or hirelings delight in exposing nakedness. Sons never delight in exposing the nakedness of the spiritual authority. Colossians 2.19 tells us to hold fast to the head. Servants will not do this, but instead they use nakedness of authority to promote themselves. In the book of Genesis, we read how Noah became drunk and was naked. Noah was a good man, but he did wrong. One of his three sons gloried in it and made a mockery of it. He even told everyone else about it. Obviously, he did not see himself as attached to his father and his father's honor. But the other two sons clothed Noah, walking backwards so that they would not see his nakedness. The second two sons saw their honor as attached to their father. By covering his nakedness, they covered his weakness. Exposing the nakedness of the father is not a motive or a characteristic of the son. A servant, however, will expose the nakedness of the father because he is offended. When someone you are considering for leadership speaks of his leader, what does he say? Does he undermine and promote his, the nakedness, weakness, or failure of what he has seen in the one over him? If you place such a person in leadership somewhere down the road, there will be destruction. God both builds and guards his house with sons. When any attack comes upon the house, the sons resist the enemy. The father should never have to defend himself. The sons should bear this responsibility. If problems are handled incorrectly, the spiritual father of the house takes responsibility. He has nothing to hide and his sons surround him. Always remember this statement. God doesn't build on ministry, but on relationships. It's out of relationships that ministry comes. I just had uh, written down, uh, the reputation of the church is defended by the people, not by the leaders. Um, so, anybody have any thoughts on that as far as nakedness and guarding and defending, basically? I usually like that. Like what? Thinking that uh, specifically like with work, um, but I saw it in church too. Mm. Um, I, I used to think that I could do it better than mm. other leaders, that I could perform better, mm. that I could make better decisions. Yeah. And uh, I went through a lot of brokenness and realized that as I was placed in a position of having to make decisions, mm. that, uh, <clears throat> that there's grace mm. in, in the growing. Yeah. And um, I realized that it was, it was to my own detriment that I didn't support the leader mm. that I was serving at, in, in work. Mm. Because it, it, it's, it's, it's one to the other. Yeah. You know, the leader leads but the serve. You know, the, the, one that, the one that's following needs, needs to be able to support yeah. the leader. And, it, and you know, it, one depends on the other. Yeah. And uh, I thank God, and like, after talking about the waiting and everything, if, if I would have been put in any other position back then, I would have destroyed everything. It's true. Destruction does come. Mm. It is very true. I, I had to go through that. Where I 
was destroying everything, and I myself got <laughs> destroyed <laughs> under, under the weight of everything that I decided to do, trying to do it myself, trying to have my own son like Abraham did um, through my own, own thing instead of worrying about my family. I tried to get into ministry because all the promises and prophecies that happened. Yeah. Trying to grab it on my own instead of the Lord allowing me to be prepared by Him. And, and now, now like, like a baby, you forget, you know, in, in labor, when you finally have the baby, you forget about all the pain. You, you, know, you don't think about all the time that you went through and the, the sickness um, that the mother goes through. And when you finally receive it, you realize why you mm -hmm. had to wait. Because you were being prepared. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how the, when this happened with Noah, he didn't curse the the son directly but he cursed the son of the son and it's interesting because it's like it's almost like he destroyed his very lineage his his ministry was was cursed um so anthony yeah i was just gonna say i think uh this point here really just it should hit home for our body because a lot of our leadership is so transparent in discipleship, yeah. right? We open up ourselves up where a lot of other ministries do not do this. Yeah. Right. So because of this, mm. the imperfections and the flaws of us as leaders can be seen for the edification, even for the benefit of those who we're exposing yeah. ourselves to. That's good. And I feel like uh, this here really needs to just minister all of us to really be mindful mm. of those that the Lord has placed in our lives over us to speak into our lives. And that they that we can trust even when even if they get it wrong or partial wrong to know that God will still get it right and see that. Mm -hmm. And like exposing this here, uh, it just shows the heart. So right. Good. And like every one of us have been guilty of probably some degree or another. Mm -hmm. Which is recognizing the detriment, like you just said, right? Like how then will that affect our way we disciple in yeah. the future? Right? If we're looking to the leaders above us and we're critiquing them and exposing this, how's that gonna affect when we try to disciple people? Right. Kind of like what you said with Noah and his son. That's good. Very good. Yeah. All right, number six. Sons naturally honor the chain of command. Servants or hirelings continually question the chain of command. Sons honor the father's command because of their deep love of the father. When the father places someone over them... With whom they find it difficult to work, sons don't leave or look for another ministry to join. Such a test separates servants from sons. Can you submit to the authority of someone you do not like? A good soldier will submit to any commander. Jesus operates through delegated authority in the earth. If you reject authority, you reject him. Let's look at uh, Romans 13. Rich, would you read 1 through 7? Let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God. The power that uh, be are ordained of God, whether therefore resist the... Whosoever therefore resists the power... Resist the ordinance of God, and they uh, 
uh, that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he that is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is in the ministry of God. A venture uh, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only to the wrath, but also to the consequence sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor is due. Amen. So it's like the sovereignty of God, right, is placed in these leaders, right? They don't bear the sword in vain. And also, it's interesting, my version said, um, for he is the servant of God. And here we're talking about servants versus sons. So sometimes he'll place his sons under uh, his designated servants. Um, and so he's even talked about nations, he, him being controlled of, of, of evil nations for his purposes, right? Babylon, Assyria, all these, these, these things that they are like servants of him, not the sons who is Israel or us. Um, but he uses these people to refine um, his sons, right? And, uh, and I just think of certain examples like um, Peter and John and even Jesus when he's before uh, Pilate, where he says, you know, he, he, when Pilate, when he addresses Pilate and says, you know, God has given you this authority. It's not it's not you that has me here, it's God. And so Jesus had this right perspective of who was in charge, right? Um, and even um, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, you know, it's just like they knew who was, who was responsible and when it was right to do, to do these things, right? So any thoughts on those? Yeah. Because uh, so what what changed my mindset was the Lord like really gave me a really very hard truth uh, because I, I would you would hear things about mega churches and the pastors of those mega churches and different people that he used by God and I would join in and agree with what those people like I would I would join in that slander against them mm. whether they were a motivational pastor or whatever not really understanding that I was speaking against God's servants. And he told me, he said, be careful what you say about my children mm. and about those. You don't know what they're, they're yeah. doing. You don't know what I'm using them for. Be careful. And, and like even coming here and being able to spend time with like the pastors and getting to realize and try to understand what I went through when my wife and I went through that ministry. Mm. God is sovereign. Yeah. He establishes all authority. That's right. And even in, in, the, in the, what I thought was a failed authority on, or a failed ministry, 
that brought about my change mm. through all that brokenness. Yeah. And, and like I see that, I didn't realize this, the, the son that endures someone and that can be submitted under any authority That's right. proves your sonship mm. Mm. And, and, and takes you from being a servant to a son. I didn't know, and this is, this is amazing now because I see how the Lord was trying to take me from servant, servant to the sonship by being submitted to any kind yeah. of authority no matter what it is because you'll honor it. Yeah, and it's like it makes sense, and, yeah. and I have my answer of why we had to go through that. He was taken through the process of becoming like him. He wants us to be yeah, bared in His image. Yeah, if you want to, ex if you want to experience rapid growth, be underneath a, a very difficult leader. But seventeen minutes. Oh, I'm running out of time. All right. So, seven, sons want to share their lives with their father down to the third generation. The vision of the house came before the sons came on the scene. When the sons showed up, the vision was already established. Sons do not try to change the vision of the house. Instead, they serve the vision. A great problem in the church world today is trying to build with servants who were never sons in the first place. Such people have their own vision to promote rather than serving the already existing vision of the house. And uh, I just immediately thought of Kings and Chronicles, how every, every king was evaluated on if they followed in David's footsteps or not. Because David established the vision. David established what was, what was God's, after God's heart, you know, what was right, basically. And after each king, it said uh, he did not follow in the ways of David, or he did follow in the ways of David. You know, and it's just like it's just interesting how God, you know, will set about even many generations later. He's still looking at whether they followed what was set out, what was <coughs> set by God. You know, um, so yeah. Hmm. Adam to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Jesus, you know, like all through the line, hmm. this one truth, yeah. right? This consistent truth. Hmm. And those, it says, um, not trying to change the vision, but instead serve the vision. Hmm. And how many false teachings and false doctrines have come right. to change the vision of God. Right. About his purpose for Israel, yeah, about his yeah. plan for the world, or how he's going to do it, his That's plan right. for the church, whatever. You know, I'm thinking of when Paul's talking about how if someone comes to you and preaches a message other mm. than the one that we preach, let them be eternally condemned. Mm. And so on a, on the massive scale, just that one truth yeah. and the vision of God, not trying to change that. That's good. Yeah, it's good. Number eight. Sons bond... New people to the family and the father. Servants bond new people to themselves. In a storm, you will discover where people are bonded. Sons have no agenda of their own, but the man with his own agenda bonds, himself, bonds new people to himself. The individuals are not building the house. They are building their own vision within the house. Um, I loved Paul's statement when he says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So he, Paul didn't have his own vision. He had Christ's vision. 
And then he called people to follow him as he's following him. Even Jesus said, I will do what my father is doing. I will say what my father is saying, right? Um, and then even uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, where he's like, all these divisions are happening in the church, that, and people are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apostle, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. And he's like, did Paul die on the cross for you? No, <laughs> you know, like, Christ died on the cr cross for you, you know, so just always being cognizant of what, what our vision is, right? And not uh, creating our own agendas. Any thoughts before we move on? Number nine. Sons, focus on the welfare of the people. Servants and hirelings focus on appearance. If you are not fathered, you will be insecure. If your father does not validate you, you will try to be validated by making things happen around you. As a result, you will tend to draw your significance, self-worth, and meaning from how things appear. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus said that one mark of hypocrisy is doing certain things to be seen of men. But if you have no sense of self-worth with the Father, you try to look good on your own. Jesus, however, was secure in his Father's love. He did not have to try to do things to look good. That is the mark of a servant. Sons, on the other hand, receive worthiness by meeting the needs of others rather than their own needs. Um, this one's just huge, right? Um, it's so many times we're trying to, to look good to one another or trying to put on an image. Um, I think of uh, the story that came to mind was when Saul... Uh, had the made this rash oath about don't nobody's going to eat until all the soldiers are dead right it sounds so spiritual like he's he's trying to drum up a spirituality and make the people like him instead it said it was like a a burden on the people right um and I just think it's interesting in the contrast of Jonathan, who did as the Lord directed him to do in secret and, and basically brought salvation for all the people, right? What a, what a contrast. Instead, you have Saul who's like, let's do this, and, and it brings a curse. Um, even in his statement, where I was looking at it today, he says, um, he placed it on them under an oath for his vengeance, Saul's vengeance, not the Lord's, but it was his, it's his, his image. What thoughts do you all have on this? It kind of hits home. It reminds me of Galatians 1.10, which says, for am, I now, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man mm. or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that mm. word for servant there is bond servant, which mm. isn't a hireling, but instead <laughs> someone who chooses to serve under the master yeah. like a son. Amen. And so it's like, we can't both be trying to be a servant of man and a bond servant or son of God. Yeah, so good. I also think First John 1, talking about living in the light and confession, mm. really helps 
problems to kind of remove the goal of image yes. from you know your motives when when you're confessing your weaknesses and your sins before your brothers. Yeah. You know your image kind of flies out the window. That's huge. It's huge. All right, number 10. Oh, Nikki, you got some? Yeah, I was just going to say, it, this hit really hard, hmm. immensely hard. Hmm. Because yeah. I'm literally going through the struggle now, let alone for the past three years. Um, and it's interesting about the image, you know, how things appear. Hmm. doesn't necessarily mean the physical appearance yeah. of us, because I can care less how I look. <laughs> it's not, and I know that that's not that necessarily the focus, but it's just a mindset again of, of what's important to you, and what's important to you is the, the appearance. Don't let, yeah, you know, don't, it's not necessarily just the image. Yeah, it's like, what are you putting your value in? Yeah, it's like, is, is your value in, in what he thinks of you or what other people think of you? Um, all right, number 10. Sons share their inner conversations. Servants and hirelings are only tell you what you want to know. Inner conversations are an indicative of what a person really thinks, feels, and believes. If you are spending a lot of time with people who do not tell you what they are really thinking, you are wasting your time. Yes. Sons, however, will share their hearts and what is really bothering them. True intimacy in a marriage occurs when you are able to speak openly to the loved one in your life, sharing problems and concerns. Other relationships, too, must be based on transparency, intimacy, and trust. There must be a true sharing of inner conversations. You ask a servant, how are you, brother? And his answer will be, fine, no problems. The truth may be, however, that he is struggling. He is thinking about giving up on what, but won't open his heart to you. You cannot build with people such as that. His root problem is his desire to look good to you. A true son, however, will tell you what is on his heart. Jesus told his disciples, I call you no more servants but friends. A friend shares his heart. Um, there's a, a, a verse in Ephesians 4.25 that says, Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Will you answer honestly? with one another, because um, it's so important. Thoughts? I think that's easier said than done. Yes. It's a weird standing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, it, and, and when, it, when it happens, though, we can't be afraid of it, right? Or reject it, uh, because sometimes that's our attitude, too. It's like, oh, I didn't want to hear their life story. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Ben, when it says intimacy, what is it alluding to? When it says intimacy, like true intimacy in marriage? Is that no, what you mean? It says other relationships, too, must be based on transparency, intimacy, and trust. Because for many people, intimacy mm. only relates to a physical closeness. Sure. Sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, when, 
you, I, I just immediately think of, of, of men that go to war together. They have an intimacy that's not um, a mar- like a marriage, right? Because they have been open. They're sharing with them, they're sharing their deepest secrets because they might die tomorrow, right? Yeah, it's a deep knowing. I think a great picture of that is us and the Lord. There's no physical touch. I, I mean, even though there is, so I'm sure people have experienced the presence of God. But, yeah. But there's, a, there's that intimacy of conversation, hmm. of really knowing the person. Yeah. I mean, intimacy isn't just something that you touch. Or, or Dan? Feel, but it's, it's, that, it's that connection that you have. Yeah. Do you have some? Looking at the statement. And the paragraph before when we were on the number nine. It says, Jesus, however, was secure <coughs> in his Father's love. And when it's true of us, when we seek him with all our heart, and when there is that, when there is that intimacy there, mm. I find that uh, I'm not afraid mm. to share the, the deeper things. Yeah, that's so, good. Because I'm, 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 I know whose I am, and I'm Man. secure in him. Come on. All right, Nikki, and then we'll do Paul. Uh, synonym is vulnerable, vulnerability. Oh. Because if you share something that is deep down inside you that you generally can't or won't share with just anyone, yeah. you're vulnerable in that moment. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. When we live in the light with each other, it says that we have fellowship with one another. Yeah. Fellowship is the beginning of intimacy. Hmm. We're, if we're not fellowshipping together, then we can't get to a place. It's got to start there. And so, <laughs> and so we, yeah, we, we just have to start with hmm. being secured in the Father's love and, and, and then just being able to share what we are. Hmm. Whether it's a battle, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a victory, it, it really doesn't matter. It's like our testimonies and what God's doing in our lives is going to benefit somebody else or encourage somebody else. Or, like Brian just said, like it's going to allow your brother to walk out their calling in hmm. your life. Hmm. And that's where we become intimate. That's where we, we, we go to war together. We get on our yes. knees and pray together. We're fighting together for the Lord's purposes in our lives. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what we want. That's, that's what we should be doing. <coughs> yeah, this is a huge principle. I mean, like, if, if anybody, if anything, Christians should be the most vulnerable, the most transparent people on planet Earth because of what Jesus has done for them, right? And what he has covered over them, yeah. That's good. Like being vulnerable about, you know, like being real about how hard a situation is going through. You know, like saying, like, no, like I'm really good. How are you? You know, and like, no, like life is really hard, but I don't let that yeah. my joy. I don't let that make me depressed. Come on. I don't want allow that to make me like do self harm or like those things that people just do to try to get a break from your pain. You know. Like, yes, I still feel these things. I'm not numb to the pains of the world. Yeah. I still feel it, but I don't, you know, let them steal my hope. Right. Or steal my joy. And that gives more glory to God because, like, yes, this is hard, but yeah. God helps me through it. And, like, yeah. that's the hope of the world we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Last one. Um, when, I was, when I read this, I think about just, like, Nehemiah and how, like, they were all in one, like, you have the beginning, and then at the end, they were still in that one. And I think of mm. that's, like, Yeah. And in doing that, it's like letting, like obviously they're sitting there working side by side with each other. They're talking, you know, like they're gonna be mm. like, 
work next to you for the past like 90 years, you know, and mm. that's going to be like a closeness that you can't even, and then finishing a work together also produces a closeness too. Amen. Yes. Amen. They built the wall. 11. Sons are secure and can handle correction, discipline, and change. Servants place blame on someone else. Hebrews 12.7 says, God deals with us as sons. If he doesn't, we're illegitimate. Servants, however, cannot take discipline. When they face correction, it is always someone else's fault. They cannot take responsibility because they are insecure and afraid of rejection. Discipline is not something you do to your children. It is something you do for your children, out of love. The way to know if someone is with you is if they stay with you after correction. Servants receive their self-esteem from their particular gift and find it difficult to have anyone try to sharpen their gift. But God joined joints welcome discipline. People who are not joined are independent contractors with their own ideas and agendas. Uh, many of us have received correction in this church. And uh, what is our response? Do you, does your mind run to how to get away from here? Or have you given, uh, also have you given correction to others? Um, because it really shows, you know, where, where we're at. I think there's a verse in Proverbs that says, he who hates correction is stupid. Um, so that's, that's scripture speaking, not me. <laughs> Amen. I love standing on the word of God. <laughs> anyway. All right. We're about out of time, so let's get to 12. Sons have puppy feet. You can see their potential. thought that was funny. Uh, servants come into the house fully grown. You cannot add to them. They think they, that they are going to add to you. Servants are not willing to learn much. They are not teachable because they feel like they already know everything. Sons, on the other hand, want to learn and want to get it right. They want to strive for the best with a spirit of excellence. A son is ready to take the blame for any wrongdoing because he's secure and honest. With God, when God builds on sons, it will endure. We, must, we too must choose people to build with who have the heart and the spirit of sons. We must not choose servants who simply, simple, uh, who simple have, oh, I guess that's wrong, simply have the ability and gifts, but we must choose true sons. Son or servant, which are you? Nick wanted me to tell you guys that his attitude has always been a student and uh, to be humble. Um, we should never hear out of ourselves, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Um, that should never come out of our mouth because it's, it, that's pride, right? Um, we, it's, it, we won't have arrived, right? But we're always wanting to be humble, learning, teachable. Um, from these things, right? Mm -hmm. So, amen. Any last final thoughts before we close? Great job, Ben. <laughs> Praise <laughs> Mark, would you pray for us? Sure. Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, uh, 
having Elder Ben lead us in this about sons and servants. And yes, God. What a great model he is as a, as a servant, as he has uh, been uh, pouring out to this body. And everyone in here, Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, bringing us all together as uh, one family, that we're uh, learning how to work together and serve together and uh, minister together. And there's a lost and dying world out there, and we need to help build each other up so we can go out and... Uh, uh, just minister to people and not preaching to them, but just loving them into the kingdom. Yes. So we thank you for this sweet time and help us to put into practice what we're learning tonight to, yes. to be sons and to be proud of that. And so uh, we uh, we ask you to bless, uh, be with Pastor Slaughter as yes. he's down with uh, uh, the remnant and uh, build them up and uh, just encourage other uh, uh, fellow brothers down there. And so we thank you for this time and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.